What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. We are back, Andrea and myself, with another Q&A. Andrea, how has your week been? It's It's been really rough, <laughs> if I'm being honest. So last week, we talked about um, how I was like starting to feel just a little bit sick, but I was really lucky because Nick got it really bad, and I just was like barely feeling anything. Well, then after the recording, I went really downhill really fast and um, tested positive for COVID. So I had not had that before and it just hit me really hard. So I spent the next three days in bed and then um, I'm still like just kind of it, it now it just feels like I had like a slight cold. Um, so it, not the best week that I've ever had. I still haven't gotten back into the gym, but um, on the uphill side of it, at least. How about you? What? I'm glad to hear you're feeling better. At least that's yeah. how I know it's bad when you say it's bad because you <laughs> you never complain about anything. Normally it's like, how are things going? I know like you have a lot going on. Like, oh, I'm good. Yep. You can like handle whatever. So I know when you actually admit that like you're sick and you're feeling rough, that it's actually pretty bad, but I'm really glad to hear you're on the uphill of that at least, or the downhill, the uphill. It's getting better, whichever better. one of those it would be. Yeah. 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 Good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, it kind of ties into our question last week around what to do with training and nutrition when you are sick, but it sounds like as a whole, just took the time away from training, which is definitely what I'd recommend if you're like bedridden, um, with nutrition, how do you kind of approach that? Or how did you kind of approach the last week? So I, I did exactly what I would tell my clients to do. And that's just go based on appetite. I haven't had really, even still today, I don't really have much of an appetite, um, so I haven't been forcing food cause that just feels terrible. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, anytime somebody's sick and they'll say like, Hey, I haven't really felt like eating much. Uh, I'll say, Hey, just don't stress it. Eat what feels like, you know, is going to digest well for you. For most people, that's going to be, um, things like fruit. And, um, I I've had like eggs a couple times, like things right. that are whole foods, um, not, anything like maybe super high fiber or anything like that. Lots of water. Yeah. Yeah. That's very much the approach that I take with clients as well as like, Hey, like do your best to get in a decent amount of protein and decent amount of whole foods, but don't feel like you need to force feed yourself. And realistically for most people when they're sick like that, like they're not going to be able to eat all the way up to their targets and that's okay. Right. Your number one priority is just getting to the point where you feel better first. Okay. But regardless, again, I'm glad that you are doing better. Um, yeah, my week's been solid. Uh, what took a two day refeed on. So again, we are what 12 days away from my photo shoot now, which I am stoked on, um, was sitting right at 180 this morning. So feeling pretty good, feeling like a tiny person actually, but, uh, it's more the number you're going to be. I am actually still trying to figure that out. That is a great question. So I have a photographer. I am still, I'm actually, I've kind of been procrastinating and actually figuring out a location. So I actually just last night was DMing a couple different gym owners, just like see if I could set something up. There's a lot of really cool gyms in the area. I mean, worst case, I could just do it in my garage, (laughs) but I would prefer to find somewhere that has a little bit better lighting and whatnot. So um, that is a great question though. And I'm still trying to figure that out, but, um, I will have a lot more clarity on that by the end of the week, but yeah, 
Um, so we took a two-day refeed this last week to kind of just, and I know I've done this with clients. I know you've done this with clients as well, getting prepped for a photo shoot to kind of just gauge how my body responds to how our body responds to like a higher carb intake. And basically I was taking like um pre-training pictures, intra-training pictures, and post-training pictures first day, second day of the refeed, and the day after the refeed to kind of just see like when I look the best, which is going to, I'm assuming kind of, at least this is what we've done with clients. And that kind of helps us dictate like what our higher carb days leading into the shoot look like. Um, I feel like for me, it was, it's hard to tell if it was the second day of the refeed or the day after that. I actually, I felt like I got a better pump the second day of the refeed versus the day after, but also it was a lower body day, the second day of the refeed, then I had like lower body and arms. So hard to tell. I'm interested to really see. I'm I'm really excited too, to like, I'm glad we've taken to the point where I've gotten lean enough where we're actually like going to do a full peak week, like working with Brandon. I know he's worked with so many people that have done very well on like a competitive bodybuilding stage. So it'll be cool to kind of see like what that peak week process is like for him. And I'm really excited to dig into that. But yeah, we're really getting to the home stretch now. So I'm interested to see kind of what the next 10 to 12 days look like. Um, it's been a crazy month for us, honestly, where like what we've had just so much company. We had oh, one of my buddies is staying with us for a good like 10 days here. And then my sister was here over the weekend. And then like uh, a bunch of Katie's family is coming out this next weekend. And then we have like the Hawaii trip the week after that. So October as a whole has been kind of a crazy month in that, like with a photo shoot, but really uh, i kind of like to like have everything stacked in like a like i feel like this whole month is just like when you're like in the mindset of like there's just gonna be a lot going on and i'm i'm here for it i feel like it's easy to just like be very focused um so i'm also though very excited to kind of wrap up the fat loss process um so i'm down what i started at 212 so i'm down 32 pounds now actually um but i again didn't have any intentions of getting quite as lean as I am when I started. But I think like something like this is something you do like every two to three years tops where you're like pushing to get as lean as you can, but I don't think it's something realistic to like do more frequently than that. So I'm really excited after this to just get into some building, but yeah, I'm stoked on how the process has gone so far. Um, And that has basically been my week. Are you ready to get into some questions here? Sure. Let's do it. All right. First one I have for you. What's your take on steady state cardio after weights? I think that's a fine way of getting in some extra steps. I think it depends on how long you plan to walk. Anything can take, you can be taken to the extreme to the point where it's like, okay, you really just need to get parasympathetic and get a meal. But, um, I, I prefer afterward for steady state cardio versus before if your focus main focus is building muscle um, because you want to go into the training session with as fresh uh, muscles as possible to put the all the effort into your training session whereas steady state is more kind of mindless movement um so i like that as a strategy how about you yeah i i agree i think like the type of steady state is also important there where like if it's hey i'm gonna lift and then i'm gonna go for let's say an hour run there we might be getting to the point where hey this might be a little bit less optimal like we're really kind of dragging not that again we have to like hit our anabolic window with an hour 
But again, like that is going to be something that's a little bit more. So like the duration is also important there. But if it's like, I think the context of this is more so like I'm doing incline walking on a treadmill. I think that's perfectly fine. If you're doing like 20, 30 minutes there, I think people kind of overthink the interference effect in nature of things where like, I think most people aren't taking it to the extreme where it's like, I'm doing my resistance training and then I'm going and running like 10 miles or something of that nature. That probably would be detrimental. So I think the dose is important also. And we do. I would also say in a scenario like this, this is where I would be a little bit more inclined to like, hey, let's make sure we have a solid pre-workout meal. We have plenty of amino acids. We have plenty of carbohydrates, right? So there's not like it, like if we're going into this fasted, we're doing resistance training. And then we're also doing a lot of steady state cardio. Then again, we're basic, we're breaking down a decent amount of tissue and that might be slightly so, and I'm still here where uh, like, that's probably a scenario. Like I would try to make sure pre-workout meal is solid, but then past that, yeah, I don't think it's a big deal. And I mean, for me personally, like the cardio, so I have cardio every day, but it's just 15 minutes on my, it's just 15 minutes of incline walking on my training days, 30 minutes on my rest days. So I normally train like first thing in the morning. So like, I'll just do my 15 minutes as my like kind of warm up, so to speak, before I start training. And that works very well for me. I mean, it's nothing too intense by any means. It's I'm just trying to keep my heart rate around 120 beats per minute. Um, I walk, my body temperature is going to raise a bit. My joints are warmed up a bit more. And I, I, I really like that. Like that works very well. And I've had a lot of clients do the same, like, Hey, even if we just do like 10 minutes before 10 minutes after that's an easy way to like make your quote unquote cardio feel a little bit more easily manageable. Um, but again, I think I really am. It's not something that I'm opposed to at all, at all. Again, the duration of it and how taxing it is, I think is important, right? Where I, I wouldn't want probably want a client doing like an hour plus of cardio after a resistance training session. And even then, like, is it that big of a deal? We're still to an extent splitting hairs, but it's probably not going to be the most optimal for muscle growth. But again, I think if it's like 20, 30 minutes of incline walking, I think that's perfectly fine. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And honestly, like in a situation like that, depending on your intensity, that could help even like relax you help get into a, um, I guess that's going to be dependent on where your heart rate is at. But I mean, to an extent, if it, especially if it's like, Hey, I'm going to go for a 20 minute walk after my training session, that could help get us back in a parasympathetic state quicker after that training session and kind of calm down. And then you're going to be able to better digest and absorb the nutrients that you take in in your post-workout meal. So yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Cool. What do you got right. for me? How do you help someone who's afraid to weigh herself? That's a good question. Um, so there's no black or white answer here. I think here just communication and working through this is so important, right? Where I I'm never going to be one to like force. Like if it's like, man, I feel like it's just bad for me mentally to weigh myself. I'm never going to force someone to like have to weigh themselves. I'll normally talk through the trade-offs. Now, a lot of times, like I'll first start with like, Hey, is this like fear of the scale? Is this something you want to address eventually? Or are you good with just like never really addressing it? Or is it like, hey, maybe I want to address it eventually, but I'm not ready to right now, right? And if you're not ready to right now, that is 100% okay. We don't need to. Then we'll work through like, okay, so this is oftentimes a valuable data point. It's not the only data point. Like let's, and it's also dependent on the client's goals, right? Like are your goals fat loss? Okay, within that, like the scales is a pretty valuable data point there. 
But we can also look at things like body measurements, progress pictures, and we can largely determine how your body composition is shifting. Now, we don't have as much data. So I want you to understand, again, like we won't have as much to work with there. It might be a little bit harder for us to tell week to week, like exactly what your progress is versus if you're weighing yourself. Are you okay with that? Yes or no, right? And I think it's kind of working through things like that, like, and also digging into tell me like, what is it? And I think here it's very important to like, make sure uh, I, again, like don't ever want to push someone in a scenario like this. Like if it's like, ah, I just, I'm not ready to do that. That's fine. Right. I'm not going to push you into that. I'm not like a, a therapist or a psychologist. So I don't, I, I want to be cautious with things like that as well. But, um, and then I'll we'll, like just a conversation around, and this is why we have like our initial calls versus just like taking clients on because we can, and we have calls with our clients frequently. So we can work through things like this as well, right? Like, Hey, fill me in on like, why is it that you're afraid of the scale? When do you remember when this started? And oftentimes we can kind of get back to the root of this, right? So what is it that you like you identify with these different numbers? Um, and I think even digging into like, Let's say, so like digging into like, describe to me your goal physique, right? What does that feel like? To an extent, what does that look like? Now, let's say you could achieve that, but the scale was not the exact weight that you wanted it to be. Would you be okay with that? Right. And depending on the answer, like if it's yes, then it's all right. So like we can kind of start to identify already. The scale isn't quite as relevant, especially for most women that we work with. The reality is your goal physique is often going to be heavier than you'd expect on the scale because it doesn't just entail fat loss. It also entails building muscle, which adding muscle to your frame requires adding weight. Uh, right. So within that, I think that there's quite a bit to work through in that regard. And then if it's like, man, I still wouldn't, I still wouldn't be happy if the scale weight wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be. Even if I like looked and felt exactly how I wanted to then and there again, it's like, so we probably need to dig deeper into that. Like, why do you think that is? And then I think it's constantly just like kind of really more than anything, like you can't give the client the answer there, but just like constantly have an open conversation around it. Like, because I think with situations like that, if the client is weighing themselves, the scale will come up constantly. And it's just something you have to be willing as a coach to work through. And like, let's just keep talking about it. Like, all right, so let's look at the progress you saw this week. We saw your strength go up. We saw measurements change. You mentioned like you fit in your clothes so much better and your friends noticed like, these changes that they were seeing in your arms or whatever. But let's compare that to like what we saw on the scale. It's interesting that like this number can completely negate like every other area, right? It's kind of like arbitrary. It's almost like, like I look at it as like, let's say your goal is to get the most jacked quads and you associate that with like, when I can back squat 300 pounds, I'll have jacked quads. So let's say you like load 300 pounds up on the bar. You do like a quarter rep squat. Okay. So technically you quad, you squatted 300 pounds, but that's just like an arbitrary number. Like you didn't actually accomplish the thing that you wanted that you associated with that weight. Right. So I think it's kind of like, can we look at what are the actual outcomes that I want that I associate with this number and understand like those might not be as closely tied to this number as I think they are. I think that's a great starting point. Um, and then honestly, I think it's just having like for clients like this, I think that oftentimes like monthly weigh-ins, I, uh, this might sound odd, but I think that if a client is willing to weigh themselves, more frequent weigh-ins are often better mentally 
understand like a monthly weigh-in or even a weekly weigh-in because the reality is like we're only looking at one data point the scale is going to fluctuate so much based on stress levels based on your sodium intake your hydration status your fiber intake where you're at in your cycle that like monthly or weekly weigh-ins just like there's so much room for fluctuation there where we much more focus on weekly averages than anything else which we need at least three data points throughout the week to see the weekly average right but i think that like for most clients and again, this is like, if you're feeling like this, you definitely don't need to feel bad about it. It's such a common thing that comes up. But I think for most clients, if we can start to work through like a lot, a lot of clients will still like, and I know we talk about this a lot on our team calls, like a lot of clients will still like first couple months, every time they see the scale spike, it'll be like, oh my gosh, like the scales went up, what's going on there. And I think the more education we can provide around, okay, this is why. So like, again, let's look at your weekly averages. Hey, did we see the exact same thing happened last week? Yeah. And then remember a couple of days after that, we hit a new low, right? And then oftentimes like the same situation there, we'll see like the next day, the next couple of days, if we're in a fat loss phase, okay, once again, we saw a new low, right? And I think the more we can just kind of work through. So like, Hey, objectively, what do we think could have caused this to happen? Right. First, like, let's say the scale spiked up two pounds. We know your maintenance calories are, let's say 2000. We know that to gain two pounds of fat overnight, you would have had to be in an extra 7,000 calories. Did you eat 9,000 calories yesterday to cause you to gain like an extra two pounds of fat? No? Okay, cool. So we know this is probably tied to something else. So let's like work through what else that could be. And again, it's it's not it's never like you just have this conversation once and it clicks. It's something that's often so deeply ingrained in people that you have to have this conversation over and over. But I really think that it's like, again, just having that open conversation just very, very frequently and over time it just starts to click with people but i honestly think as weird as it sounds like the thing that i've found in practice to be this isn't a blanket prescription but the thing i found in practice to be the most helpful is actually like just having someone take more frequent weigh-ins and having them work through the highs and lows and being able to look at the trend over time and understand your weight is always going to fluctuate but if you're always attached to that there's never going to be a period in your journey whether you're in maintenance the building phase or fat loss there is never going to be a time. Like I'm, I'm eating the same, I measure my salt. I'm eating the exact same foods every single day. And I still see the scale fluctuate by at least two pounds very frequently, right? My, like everything that I'm eating right now is measured and there's still these constant up and down fluctuations. So no matter how perfect you are, there is never going to be a period in your life where there's not that fluctuation. So we can choose to get off that roller coaster or we can like choose to stay on it, right? And just constantly be like, live this up and down, up and down. But it's not, it's not like the fluctuations are never going to go away. So I don't know. Those are my thoughts. What do you have for me there? I, <laughs> I agree with all of that. The, I, I haven't gotten a ton of being scared away altogether, but definitely like 50% of people will have the, like the, uh, Hey, I, why is the scale up today? You know what I mean? Like that kind of a, um, stress about the scale, um, and seeing those day-to-day fluctuations and being able to consistently point to like, Hey, dinner was later or sodium was higher or stress was higher, or I did leg day yesterday. That kind of a thing is so helpful because then it's almost like a science experiment. It's like, there's not always going to be an answer for it, but, a lot of times you can reliably point to something that caused the spike and you can look across weeks and see, okay, last week, my 
low day was 150 and my high day was 153. This week, my low day is 149 and my high day was 152. So even though a lot of that in the middle is overlapping and sometimes it feels like things aren't headed in the direction that you want, you can point to um, the average over time and the, the spikes and the dips and see that those are actually moving in a downward trend over the long run. Yeah. The scale is a crazy thing, truly, with just how much power it can have over us. And I think that's, again, like the education around, even if you're not ready to weigh yourself, just like understanding, like just being able to look at it with a little bit more objectively versus subjectively. And like, even like what I said about like scale is always going to fluctuate no matter what. And like, think about like how, if you, because I'm, I'm assuming like if someone doesn't want to weigh themselves this again from like kind of riding that roller coaster of like, I hate the way it makes me feel where it's again, like we don't have to give it that power, right? If we can just understand, like we can take some time to like understand, like, because it's, it's almost something that like to not be scared of it, we have to better understand it. Right. Then this is getting kind of, that we're getting kind of deep here, <laughs> but um, I think that's so valuable for so many people where if you just like look at how much it's controlled like so many of your decisions for so long and like can if we can look at it objectively it's like man it doesn't make sense like i love that control so much when it's just like a normal fluctuation right and i i don't know but also there i think there comes a point where like depending on like my initial conversation on the calls like if it's like truly like i'm terrified of this this is something i can't do some i mean sometimes in situations like that i may like Hey, I think the best bet is to refer you onward to someone who I think is very good with like getting a little bit deeper into the psychological side of things. Because I, I'll also say like, sometimes there are situations where it's like, Hey, um, similarly with like client, like client applications struggling with eating disorders, like there, there there's definitely times where it'll be like, Hey, I think the best bet is for us to refer you to someone who is very, very good in this realm. So also like for coaches listening, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And a lot of times this scenario is like, now, this isn't definitely not to say like, if you refer to everyone who was like, didn't have the best relationship with scale onward, you'd refer everyone, like most everyone onward. Um, but I think there's a time and place for that as well. Any other thoughts on that? I, I can remember whenever I was a kid, my mom did Weight Watchers and they would have a monthly or no weekly meeting. So every single week they weighed in one time and this was at night after eating all of your food. Oh my gosh. In your clothes like in front of everyone. So <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. That generation, I feel like just got the worst with like just so many bad diets, but I feel like it was less on like marketing or the fact that they were being just like, so marketed to was they just like basically got shit on with like yeah. terrible diet advice and like all these awful Anyways, uh, moving on, do you think it's necessary to do, to do ab workouts when you don't have a low body fat percentage? So I wouldn't say it's ever necessary to do ab workouts. I think that you have to first like evaluate why you're doing them. If it is to strengthen your core, then you're going to get that result regardless of if you can see your abs or not. If you're doing, um, ab training to see your abs, you won't see them until you're lean enough to, but there's also merit to 
building those muscles like now starting now and then being able to see them later on after a fat loss phase. Um, so, you know, you're, you're not going to see the payoff for it yet, but I don't think that there's a reason, um, to, well, I started to say there's not a reason not to, I, I, it's not something that we put a super heavy focus on in our training programs because you're going Mm -hmm. to be getting core stability through, um, the big compound lifts. And then you can include like one or two, um, uh, flexion based movements a week to actually build the rectus abdominis muscles. But even still, like that's not a huge emphasis within our programming. Um, just because like, yeah, you do have to be lean enough to see your abs if you want to see them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as you said, I think it depends on what you want out of this, right? Like if you don't have any struggles with core stability, right? Your lower back, your ability to stabilize for your compound lifts isn't an issue. You probably don't need to do any additional core stability work. So think like static holes, planks, things of that nature. But outside of that, I think it's like any other muscle, like same thing we could say like, hey, you can't see the striations in your pecs unless you're super lean. So are we not gonna train our pecs unless you're super lean? Now, if you're just happy with maintaining your pecs where they're at, that's perfectly fine. You can just keep them right around your maintenance volume. Now with abs, the thing is like the maintenance volume to maintain them from my perspective is zero sets. Like we can essentially yeah. maintain the muscle that we have within our core without doing any direct, ag- direct ab work. So if next time you get leaner, you're okay with like the amount of musculature that you had last time you were lean in your core, um, that's perfectly fine to not do any direct ab work. That said, if you do like, you feel like last time I was lean, I still like my abs didn't have the shape that like deep cuts that I kind of, that sounds super bro, but like, deep cuts, that should be like a fat burner. Um, anyways, uh, I lost my train of thought there, but, it, uh, if you don't, ha- if you didn't have that last time, then we probably do want to train it because also muscle growth takes a very long time. If you're like waiting until like, okay, now I'm starting to diet. Now I'm going to train my abs because I didn't like the way they looked last time. Like you're not going to see that much difference over the course of an eight, 12 week diet. We just need consistent time there. Um, so I definitely like, if you want to see improvements in your abs next time you get lean versus the last time, I would for sure train them again. We don't need to do, go over the top. Typically how we'll approach this is one, as you said, spinal flexion to build a rectus abdominis or our six pack muscle is the biggest key. So basically think things where we're pulling our pelvis and our rib cage closer together. So normally this would be something like a crunch variation. So think like, a cable crunch is almost always going to be my go-to there. I also like like a Swiss ball crunch, um, a decline crunch, weighted crunch is okay. And then something that I like would call reverse spinal flexion. So think like, I really like there, like a gar hammer raise, an incline gar hammer raise, a hanging knee raise. Those are all good options. But again, like I would probably still only do like five to six sets per week total between those two. But again, if you want to see improvement there, I would still program direct at work caveat for moms, because I will program, um, TBA mm. work for almost every. Yeah. So that, that is going to be something like a dead bug or a TBA ab crunch, uh, just because most people don't do a ton of ab work, especially specifically for the TBA. So you kind of lose that connection on like how to even draw it in. 
and then strengthen it in that position. So that the, that is the one demographic who I will almost always have ab work in for. That's a great call. And that comes up a lot on calls with new clients as well. Whereas always like I had two kids, I know I had a lot of abdominal separation and then it was just like never really addressed. And that's, so I think the context there is very important. I, I, that's a great caveat. Anything else to add there? Nope. Next All right, what's you got for me? Yep. Post meal walks. How soon after? Immediately, or is there a grace period? That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, I would say probably. I mean, it's going to depend. So, like as we know, post meal walks are going to a digestion. They are going to help us improve nutrient partitioning and insulin sensitivity. I would say like any time during the gestation period is probably going to be beneficial. Is gestation right? Or is that gestation? what you're... That's what you're... Is that right? <laughs> Damn it. Um, what's the... What's the postprandial? I don't know why I thought gestation. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a very long time frame, the gestation period. Um, I, anyways, uh, yeah. Okay, not the, di- not the gestation period, but the postprandial period. I think like really like you're going to get benefits at any point during the postprandial period. So I probably would say for most people, like immediately after it's perfectly fine. Probably 30 minutes after is perfectly fine, depending on the, the quantity of the meal, 45, 60 minutes after probably still okay. Um, I think if we're creeping too far past that, you'll already have digested a large amount of it and they might not be quite as beneficial. So I would say like in the most ideal scenario, we're probably trying to do it like somewhere between immediately after and within the next 20 to 30 minutes. But I also don't think we have to get too obsessive about the timing. Like, did I go five minutes after or 10 minutes after? Like, I don't think that's going to make, make or break the benefits by any means. What do you think on that? I agree. I mean, this is all just, uh coming up with an answer that makes sense to me. So this is not an exact science by any means, but I, I think that that 20 to 30 minute mark is probably a good um, like thing to shoot for just because once you finish eating your food, it does like go through the digestion process and then start trying to find a home, (laughs) like your glucose um, storage and things like that. So you would probably want to get a walk in before that just to, I mean, that's what you're doing is using that energy for walking and um, giving the food something to do. (laughs) Uh, So that's, that's my best guess too is 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think that's a pretty good guideline. Okay. Uh, is there a difference between whey protein and whey protein isolate? So if you see whey protein on the side of your, um, bucket of protein, it's going to most likely be whey protein concentrate. I, you would have to look at the actual mm-hmm. ingredients list where it says specifically, but usually that's going to mean concentrate. Whereas whey isolate is just a, a little bit more stripped down. So it's removing all of the lactose. So for a lot of people, it's going to um, digest really well. Like it just kind of digests like water. It's a lot more thin in your shaker cup too. So it doesn't have um, that thickness to it. Like a concentrate will have. 
Um, and, and for obviously anybody that has lactose intolerance, for sure, it's going to digest better. Yeah. That's yeah. Basically think like, so a way, a whey protein concentrate is typically going to have, as you said, more lactose, it'll typically have a bit higher fat and carbohydrate content. So as a whole, it'll typically be a little bit more calorie dense think whey protein isolate is that's just filtered down further. So again, like if you have issues with dairy, sometimes I've still seen like people have issues with whey protein isolate as well, but typically it will digest quite a bit better. It'll be much easier on people's stomachs than like whey protein concentrate will. And like, it's going to be almost exclusively protein that you're getting from that. Like, I think my whey protein isolate isolate that I have from muscle feast, I think has like 0.4 grams of fat per serving and then like the remainder of the calories are coming just from protein so um and then there's like is it hydrolysate mm-hmm. uh then that's basically just going to be um the protein chains are broken down even further so it's potentially a little bit easier to digest that said i think like for most people uh whey protein isolate is a very solid option but again like there's nothing wrong with whey protein concentrate if you digest it well if you tolerate it well, um, it's just going to typically be a little bit slightly more calorie dense. And again, there will be more lactose in there. Anything else to add to that one? Nope. Okay, cool. Um, did you have any other questions? No. Okay. So the next one I have is, is there a distinct difference between essential amino acids or EAAs and BCAAs? I've heard that EAAs outweigh BCAAs. So, um, when we're talking about amino acids, there's really just a couple things that we have to be aware of. So basically we have on one end essential amino acids. So these can't be synthesized by our body. So these need to come through our diet. So think like your essential fatty acids, right? Very similar where we have like EPA and DHA. This is why people recommend typically, Hey, like we get some fatty fish. Um, think like your omega threes, for example, or we like take a fish oil or something of that nature to make sure we get those, those essential fatty acids because our body can't synthesize them on its own. And then we have non-essential amino acids, which can be synthesized by healthy individuals. So then when we're looking further into the essential amino acids, we have nine of them and the BCAAs only make up three of them. So we have isoleucine, leucine, and valine are going to be the BCAAs. But again, the essential amino acids as a whole are six other amino acids alongside those three branch chain amino acids or BCAAs. So a lot of people will only focus on BCAAs, but it's important to understand that we need all the essential amino acids to build muscle because BCAAs alone can't support muscle protein synthesis, right? So again, we know muscle protein synthesis is essentially this process of our body turning essential amino acids into new muscle tissue. So we need all these essential amino acids, not just the BCAAs to build new tissue. So if we're only getting in the BCAAs, we're not getting in the other essential amino acids that we need. The lack of those other essential amino acids will become the rate limiter for us to build more tissue. If we don't have them again, if we're only focused, like we have an abundance of the three BCAAs, let's say we don't have enough, like lysine or tryptophan, for example, lots of hard to pronounce words in this podcast. Um, that will kind of be the rate limiter for us to build muscle tissue. So, I mean, like still, like all of them are important, but yeah, I would definitely say that essential amino acids are superior to just focusing on your branch chain amino acids. Any thoughts on that? 
So if you're eating protein sources, like if you're eating meat and eggs and fish and things like that, it's not something that you have to worry about. If you're choosing a supplement, I would just choose EAAs to have during your training session instead of BCAAs. And that's like really all you would have to worry about. Yeah. And I, I fully agree there too. Like if you're eating like whole foods, protein sources that are mostly animal based, it's not really something you have to worry about the time where like, so like if someone's deep in a deficit, sometimes I will have them supplement with essential amino acids, like intro workout to help further support muscle protein synthesis. Or if somebody's training extremely early and they have trouble digesting food before they go into a training session, sometimes I'll just, sometimes I'll just have them do like, Hey, let's mix some essential amino acids with something like a highly branched cyclic dextrin. So like an, an essential amino acid source with a carbohydrate source. So we can stimulate muscle protein synthesis and we can have some carbs. So you're feeling well fueled going into your training session. Really though, those are the only two areas as of now that I recommend them all that frequently, regardless. Yep. Me too. Cool. All right. I think we're going to break this one up into a two-parter. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up here and we will catch you guys in the next episode.